Praise the Lord and welcome to our weekly podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a team of wonderful producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative. During this episode, we will continue our roundtable discussion with our producers as we address many of the questions they have about grief. This episode was produced by Lady Satoya Clanton. It was edited by Lady Clanton and Sister Tynika Harris Coronado. I'll be right back with today's episode. Elder Maurice. Praise the Lord, Bishop. Praise him. I just got a couple of questions for you. The first one is a common question that I know a lot of people deal with. Will I ever get over my grief? Well, the loss is irreversible. Can't change that. Will they get over their grief? If they do the right things over a period of time, the pain of the loss should be manageable and minimal. I just recently read that we never stop grieving. And I know people who have had losses 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and they are still grieving, but they're able to manage their grief. So let me speak to you from a personal aspect of it, I still find occasions that I weep over the loss of my my father and my mother. Now, I'm a 62-year-old man. I'll be be 63 (laughs) this year if it's the Lord's will. My dad passed in 2006, which is about 17 years ago. Our mom passed in 2012. And sometimes it just hits me at the most unusual moments and I just I break down and I cry so I would have to agree with uh, with what I read maybe we really don't ever stop grieving we just learn how to manage it amen before I go on to my next question um I just looked down and Elder Jake had another question Uh, He says, should we not comfort a woman slash couple who has experienced grief of a pregnancy loss? Yes, we should comfort anyone when there is a loss, especially a pregnancy loss. Marie and I, in the early years of our marriage, she experienced a couple miscarriages. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of thoughts that races through that expectant mother's mind as to why she lost her child, especially if she sees other women going full term, delivering healthy babies and enjoying their newborns. It was very difficult for me when I saw other families 
having children and enjoying their families and we lost that child. And the question that came across my mind, what did I do wrong or what did we do wrong? And sometimes the mother, she thinks that, what did I do wrong? Am I not good enough? Am I not healthy? Or did I, did I do something to cause the loss of my child? So yes, we should provide comfort to the woman, provide comfort to the couple. It helps to have compassion, to be a compassionate person. And again, not that I'm anti-scripture. Anybody knows me that I, I am not anti-scripture. I discourage anybody in a situation like this, just throwing or bombarding or baptizing them with a, with a bunch of scriptures. And I hope that makes sense. That person is hurting. And we need to reach them, not necessarily as a spiritual person. We need to reach them as a human being who's had a loss. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Jake, I see you have your hand up. Yes, sir. This question, it's a tough one, but um, I'm, I'm glad you spoke to that, not just tossing out scriptures because, you know, we went through that ourselves, And I think the key thing is that, that people, I think they mean it from a good place and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think they mean some of their comments from a good place, but they actually do more harm than good. So, mm -hmm. you know, you stay saying, don't, don't just bombard them and just toss some scriptures at them. I think that's, that's, uh, that's huge. But are there any other things in particular that you can think of that um, one should not say to a grieving couple or grieving mother? You can have more. You'll have more. Yes, I may have more, but I lost that one. And this is something that we need to understand as people. Losses are not like bicycles or like toys or tools. They're not replaceable. You know, so the mother miscarriages or the baby is born, but there's something, something happens uh, like the situation that Marie and I had, she went full term, delivered the baby, but the baby never made it home. And I don't think she minds me saying this. It took her almost 25 years to actually accept the loss of our baby. His name was Daniel Patrick. It took her 25 years before I heard her say, anything that says that she accepted the loss of Daniel Patrick. And she said something to this effect, I think I'm ready to move on. You know, wow. so you've had that loss. You may have another son, you may have another daughter, but this does not replace what I lost. We need to feel her pain. We need to feel his pain. We cannot stand in, in his or her shoes, but we need to empathize in a way that we understand that this is an irreplaceable and irrecoverable loss. This is someone that you will never get to know. And that hurts. It's very painful. Bishop, that was deep. A very powerful statement and it's just it's real yeah there's no there's you know 
Yeah, and you can't pray. <laughs> Excuse me, you can't praise your way through that. No. If I if I was if this was Sunday morning or Bible study, I would say hello, somebody. You know, don't tell me, don't tell me to praise my way through this, okay? Because I really don't want to hear that right now. Can I be real? I don't want to praise my way through this because I'm hurting. And I don't know why this happened. I have questions that no one have answers to. And I'm wondering why God let this happen to me, especially I've been faithful. I've done everything that I knew to do to be healthy, to be holy, a good husband, a good wife. We have a good family. Why would God let this happen to me? And excuse me, I'm not at the level of Job's maturity. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I haven't gotten that doctrine in religiosity yet. So <laughs> let me feel my pain. Okay. And, and I, I know that God will help. Yes, sir. So let me feel my emotions and, yes. and go through my moments. Yes. And, and, in, and look, and in time, look, it may change. It may remain the same. It may get worse. It may get better. But let me go through the process. I yeah. think... I think with the first question that um, Juanita posed with people trying to figure out how to quickly get you through it is what disrupts the process and it causes people to endure it longer than they may have to because they just didn't were allowed to feel their emotions and go through the feelings. So you know why you know why people rush you through the process? Not for you. They rush you the process for themselves because mm -hmm. they don't want exactly. to, they don't want to have to deal with your pain. They don't want to have to deal with your sadness. They want you to get over it so they can move on. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Juanita? Bishop, you are talking. Being a therapist, you know, we're trained how to operate, how to help others. But when it hits home, yeah, my daughter always teased me and said, emotions i'm like i have a lot of emotions i just yeah. know how to <laughs> turn them on and off but just this past weekend i allowed myself to sit in my emotions just sit in them because i don't always get the time to do that and you just hit the nail right on the head it's the other person's level you know they're uncomfortable they want you to be better they want you to you know seem better and i'm not better today's not a great day and you know this moment is not great. The day that the Lord makes is always good, but this moment is <laughs> not great. <laughs> and that's what I'm learning to say. At this moment, it's not great. So let me sit in it so that I'm not avoiding how I feel and then it all comes crashing down. And so I think this was very important. Do you mind sharing with us? What did it feel like when you sat in your emotions? Initially, it was heavy. Like very heavy. I just felt very tired and drained. But as I began to sit through it, it's like I just mentally began to like pull myself up out of it. Um, and so really what I do now, I allow myself time. I say, okay, if you're going to grieve or if you're going to have any moments, this is how long you get to have it. Okay. <laughs> because I don't want to stay there too long because I don't want depression to set in. Um, okay. But it was just a very, it was just very heavy. But at the end of it, I kind of felt fulfilled because I allowed myself 
to be okay in that moment. So as a, as a therapist, do you, do you kind of shut, keep that valve closed off because you, you don't want to get into that? You don't want to get into your emotions. You don't want to get into your feelings. So it's almost sounds like we're having a therapy session right now. <laughs> so <laughs> so do, do you shut that valve off, close that door because you don't want those emotions to come out like I heard someone say, my mom said that she was afraid if she started screaming, she would never be able to stop. Um, I think I allow myself more now to, to feel and be okay with it. I, I don't okay. really shut it off. Okay. And I know the people around me are like, you're different. But I was Young. changing before my mom passed. Like, cause I grieved her while she was still alive. I was going through that. And so I'm just now like more, I'm much more open. I've always been kind of closed off, not really mm -hmm. letting people know how I feel or I got to be the strong one. Cause mm -hmm. that's what people tell me. You're the strong mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm very vulnerable now. So if I want to cry, I cry. Good. If I don't want to talk to anyone, I don't want to talk. I don't talk to anyone. Um, and I Good. just allow myself those times where I wouldn't have done that before. To be in the moment, to allow yourself to be in the moment, whatever that moment is, and then feel good enough and confident enough to tell people, let me have this moment. This is my experience. This is not yours. This is my experience. Let me have my moment. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for sharing that, uh, Juanita. You're welcome. I just have one more thing on that wise. Um, I was sitting here thinking about that time and even our jobs, they only give you two to three days for bereavement and then they expect you to return to work. I remember when I lost my brother, um, I was living in Montgomery. It was the first death inside of our, uh, inside of my immediate family. I left the Friday before the service and I didn't come back for almost two weeks. I wasn't concerned with your three days. You could pay me and mm -hmm. I, but I'm mm -hmm. gone. Like I mm -hmm. know that my mom is up there losing her mind, his wife and his children. It was untimely out of nowhere. And I'm like, three days wasn't sufficient to just deal with dealing with a funeral and the arrangements and all of that stuff. So definitely not going to get grieving done in the afternoon after the re repass. This is Bishop Michael Bellamy. I hope you enjoy our podcast and subscribe to our Facebook page. You will find our weekly podcasts on many of your favorite platforms. Would you please tell your family and friends to listen in as well? We would love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook and via email at theelephant2022 at gmail.com. Moving on, uh, my next question is, do you believe that grief and mourning are the same? They all have to deal with, with loss, but they are not the same. Grief is internal, whereas mourning is external. So grief has to deal with our emotions our thoughts, what we're feeling, 
and what we're thinking at the moment. Mourning is what we do, our behavior, how we show that we are grieving. So no, they are not the same. That's an excellent question because I have a serious problem within our culture that when we have what we call celebration of life services, we want to celebrate the life rather than, and, and we do that through, through the music, through the singing, through the dancing, um, and the preacher getting us worked up into an emotional frenzy. But then when it comes time for the final review, that's when people's true emotions come through, that they are hurting. So I have, one, I have a serious problem with our culture and the way we celebrate a loss rather than properly grieving and having a time to mourn our loss. You can't, you can't, you can't mourn a loss or grieve and then once the, 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 the casket is, is placed at the gravesite, go to the repast, have fried chicken, uh, barbecued rib tips, coleslaw, mashed potatoes and gravy, you know, um, spaghetti with, uh, uh, with cheddar cheese on it and think it's all over with. It takes time and we should allow people time to mourn their losses. I hope that helped. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was outstanding. All right. So my last question, and it's, it's, it's got roots in some um, behavior that I've seen in my walk since I've gotten saved. But um, I just want to see what your thoughts are. The question is, how would you deal with someone who believes you didn't grieve long enough? And the uh, example that I have is, I remarried three months after the death of my spouse of more than 10 years. Wow. Uh, I, need, I need to process that one. <laughs> there's, there's no set time to grieve. You, you, can't, you can't tell a person, well, after a month or after 60, 90 days or a year, you should be over your grief. We all are different and we grieve differently. So I advise people to get counsel or to see a therapist before remarrying after the death of a spouse. Some years ago, I had a, a spiritual leader who was active in another ministry call me and his wife had recently passed. And he said, you know, I found somebody and I think I'm ready to remarry. But before doing that, I want to just check in and see if I'm okay. So we set up some uh, sessions. And in those sessions, we discovered that he was not okay. And I said, well, we really need to talk to the young lady that you want to marry because we need to have her in on these sessions. And I would like to find out if she's okay because his deceased wife and this lady were best friends. And when she came into the session, I found out she wasn't okay. So you have these two people who have both experienced a loss. It was his wife, it was, it was her best friend 
They're both grieving and they're going to try to help one another through their grief by marrying one another. No, you are not okay. We need to talk about this because what you're doing is, is you're both setting yourselves up for failure and a marital disaster. Well, as it turned out, they went through the sessions with me and then they did marry with, with their eyes wide open. And as far as I know, they're still together. Do I advise a person to remarry after the loss of their spouse in three months? I wouldn't officiate the wedding. I, I wouldn't officiate the wedding a year after the death of a spouse. My opinion is, I think it's best to wait two or three years under the pastoral care with a professional Christian counselor or a therapist to make sure that that the individual is really okay. I know of a very renowned bishop, his wife died, he remarried, but he never took her pictures off the wall. And he continued to talk about her. But I guess his second wife didn't have a problem with it uh, because I think they had a relatively decent marriage, but before remarrying, I think that a person needs to make sure that they are really, really okay. And like I said, everybody's different. Some people, they've had a good marriage. One sister who was terminally ill, before she passed away, I was told she took her ring off her finger, gave it to her husband and said, it's yours you're free to remarry. Well, that was, that was very courageous of her. And he did, not long after she passed. But she released him and let him know, go on with your life. That was the unabridged answer. <laughs> that, that was the answer. That was, <laughs> that was the answer that the viewers and listeners need to hear. Um, yeah. Take your yeah. time. Um, I, I came up with that question because I labored with a group that if you held an office uh, higher than a minister, you only had 90 days to remarry. You were not permitted to be unwedded as an elder or a bishop. I would so, have left. I would have left. I would have left their group in 90 minutes. <laughs> I would have, you, you, you can't tell me after I have been married to someone for 40, 50, or 60 years that I have 90 days to get some strange woman in my house who wants to change the furniture and move her clothes out of the closet and, and throw her shoes away. No way. <laughs> or she wants to wear her hair. No. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We can't, we can't, we can't do that. We can't, we can't do that. <laughs> well, Lord, no exchange in here. No. We heard it, we heard it here. Yeah, you heard, heard it here. You heard it here. I'm going to take a spot out. Look, if something was to happen, don't come knocking on Bishop Bellamy's door. He ain't interested. I am not interested. In fact, in fact, I, I told my wife, uh, I told Lady Gwen, I says, if the Lord allows you to leave before me, I'm done. 
I don't want to remarry. I don't want another woman. I've had, you know, many, many years of wonderful marriage and have a lovely family. And I just want to give the rest of my life to Jesus. Praise God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to send him to talk to Pastor Quarry. <laughs> you sound like a bishop that I know that lost his wife recently. He said he's just going to get with one of his girls and get in a room and he's going to be content. He ain't looking for another. He said he found him a fox way back when and he's good. <laughs> well, God bless, God bless him. <laughs> All right. The next couple of questions that I have were provided by Lady Satoya. Her first question is, with the numerous losses in our society has faced, for example, mass shootings and COVID-19, how do we keep from becoming numb indifferent and jaded when these events continue to happen. Second part, how do we remain hopeful in the face of this immersed losses like this? Well, numbness can be the mind and body's way of protecting us from the shock and pain of multiple losses. Let, let me say that again. And I, I hope that I can get Juanita, as a therapist, thoughts on this as well. Numbness can be the mind and body's way of protecting us from the shock and pain of multiple losses. The wiring system in our homes have an electrical panel with circuit breakers. If a circuit breaker draws amps higher than the breaker's ratings, the breaker will trip, interrupting the circuit possibly preventing an electrical fire. And then the breaker is reset when the problem is corrected. So numbness is a tripped breaker. Relentless shock can do a lot of psychological and physiological damage. Every time the body is shocked, I, I can't recall exactly how many days it takes for the body to recover from an initial shock. So when you have multiple losses and the body is experiencing relentless shock, there is a lot of damage that's being done to the body. Indifference and feeling jaded is not healthy for the individual, neither is it for the community. So we can't afford to lose hope. It means we have given up and then we are not going to take the necessary actions to stop the senseless violence or the killings in our country. So in closing to that question, I would say we cannot afford to lose hope. Well, friends, that's all the time we have for this episode. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode, which was produced by Lady Satoya Clinton. Be safe, stay healthy, God bless.